Thanks to Slack for supporting The Motley Fool. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and joining me today via Skype is senior Motley Fool contributor, Asit Sharma. Hey, Asit. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, Vince. Thanks a lot for having me on. So, do you know why today is special? Let me guess. Because um, you are going to give me a Yeti product, maybe? Um, No, (laughs) not quite. But you did hint at the reason why it involves three letters, IPO, because today we have a new story and stock to introduce the listeners. Um, this brand, Yeti, uh, might mean a lot to some of you uh, if you've heard of it, um, encountered it in your leisure time, maybe at the beach or camping out in the wilderness. But Yeti Holdings makes coolers, drinkware, and other accessories for the outdoor enthusiasts and also you know, a bunch of college kids too. But... Asit, I'm curious, have you had you heard of Yeti before you started researching the company for this show? I had, Vince. So I am in the South, as are you, which is a major, the major market for this company. And I have an Ace Hardware very close to where I live, uh, often popping in there for different things. And Yeti has a very beautiful display in my local Ace Hardware. And many times I have stopped at that display and gazed upon these extremely nice coolers and tumblers and other merchandise have not purchased anything yet, but I'm familiar uh, just from seeing these products quite frequently. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it feels like the company has absolutely exploded in the past few years in terms of popularity, um, and that would match uh, pretty closely the growth that the company has enjoyed. And I feel like the first time I saw a Yeti cooler was on someone's fishing boat a couple years ago, um, and at that point it was still kind of a something new and novel. Um, And I actually got to check out the company's single brick and mortar location when I was in Austin this past March. And I was thinking to myself, like, holy cow, I didn't realize that they were at the point where they're opening uh, physical stores. Um, Didn't realize until doing the research for the show that there was their single location, but we'll get more uh, into that later. But at this point, you see the the Yeti logo on a pretty regular basis, even living in an area like D.C. And I was rummaging through my brother's kitchen looking for something uh, last week, and boom, right there, I see a Yeti water bottle in the cabinet that belonged to my sister-in-law. So it really is growing its presence. Um, This is a very interesting consumer business. And the growth, I think, is especially impressive given how focused its product portfolio is. So Roy and Ryan Siders founded the company in 2006 in Austin, Texas. And this started as a pretty niche cooler company marketed to avid hunters and anglers. Um, it's grown into a much bigger company since then. And a big driver of that was Yeti's takeover by Cortex. So this is a private equity firm. They took it over in 2012. And we've seen firsthand how Cortex has taken the Yeti brand and expanded the product line from those core coolers to other uh, accessories, um, cups, tumblers, water bottles, uh, soft coolers. And most importantly, they've also broadened the target market for these products to everyday users. So in the prospectus, Yeti shares some interesting data from customer studies that highlight this strategic change. So first, from 2015 to 2018, the customer base shifted from 69% hunters to just 38%. In that same period, women grew 
from 9% to 34% of the, co- the company's customer base. So under Cortec, Yeti went from a company with $90 million in, of revenue in 2013 to $640 million in 2017 on the surface. You know, that's 60% plus compound annual growth. That's crazy for any company, let alone a consumer one, churning out coolers and tumblers. Um, but there are some also gray areas working through Yeti's recent results that we'll get to. Um, I'll pass the baton to you, Asit. Can you walk us through any key numbers that have stood out to you and um, anything with profitability and other kind of longer-term prospects? What do you, where do you want to start? I uh, want to just walk back briefly uh, to one more comment about Cortec uh, making this into a more um, viable operation for a larger scale business. Uh, they also brought in more seasoned management. So the two Cedar brothers are still uh, with the company. Um, Roy Cedars owns 10%, Ryan Cedars owns 9%. And after this IPO, Cortec still retains a majority, 52% of shares. But they brought in a CEO, Matt Ranges, and more important to me, a new CFO uh, this year, Paul Corbone. So those of you who are familiar with Dunkin' Donuts, he was their CFO and left to uh, join this company. So leaving a great outfit like Dunkin', which itself is growing and coming to this, tells you something maybe of the opportunity. Uh, well, let's dive into some uh, top-line numbers and talk through those, and then I think that'll frame a lot more of this discussion for us. We have from their prospectus uh, the first six months of uh, net sales. So this is about $342 million uh, worth of sales. On that, uh, the company has a gross profit of $158 million, all the way down to the net income line, Net income is $15.5 million. So just rough numbers. Net profitability is about 5%. And this is a function of the product line that uh, this company sells. Uh, we were talking uh, before the show about one of the phrases in the prospectus, which mentions that Yeti goes from has a product line from a $20 tumbler all the way up to its top of the line $1,300 Yeti cooler. So when you have such a wide variety of price points, um, listeners, you can sort of build in your head. You can sell more of those high-end products and up the margin, or you can sell the lower-end products, which hurts your margin but helps that revenue growth. And in fact, as we'll talk about later in the show, drinkware products are really leading uh, sales for the company over the last year. So basically for me, uh, one more point to mention about the financial statements. I talked about $15.5 million in net income. Interest expense on the company's debt is... um, million. So even more than final net income, we'll return to that thought. Um, And Vince, I was curious, uh, we've talked uh, a lot about distribution strategies um, on other IPOs we've covered. And I noticed that um, Yeti has a very interesting one that's split up between a direct channel and a wholesale channel, which involves a lot of major retailers. And I sort of wanted to talk about that, uh, maybe uh, following these numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of you know the way Yeti split up its, its splits up its product categories and its distribution, you know that coolers category um, that I think they're most famous for in terms of the product line, it made up forty five percent of the top line in the first half of twenty eighteen, and then the drinkware. Um, some of the lower price products that you mentioned, Asset, uh, those came in at 52% of revenue, and they are growing. Uh, that product category is growing quite a bit faster than 
the coolers line. Um, and the company distributes its products through wholesale and direct-to-consumer channels with about a 70-30 split, respectively, between the two. So for wholesale, um, Yeti's biggest partners include chains like Dick's Sporting Goods, um, Bass Pro Shops, REI, and then also about 4,800 smaller independent retailers. And then for the direct-to-consumer part of the business, so these include Yeti's own online stores. Um, they also sell through Amazon and that uh flagship uh, store location that they have in Texas. And again, this is an instance where direct-to-consumer, and we see this for a lot of uh, consumer and retail companies, uh, that DTC business is growing faster than wholesale, 75% year-over-year in the first half of 2018. Uh, And the tailwind uh, for that growth and for the company is that there are higher profit margins uh, for DTC that they enjoy over wholesale. Um, Something else that I think is worth mentioning in recent results, uh, we talk about Pretty solid growth in the first half of 2018. I think revenue growth came in around 34% year over year. But there was a blip also in 2017 that I think really worried investors, uh, basically looking at the story, evaluating its long-term prospects, where we saw a company going, uh, putting up these incredible growth numbers. Uh, but at the same time, they the revenue was down in 2017 for Yeti, about 22%, uh, as a result of what the company describes um, as multiple factors coming together and kind of as headwinds. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Asit? Sure. So one of the first problems that hit um, the company was it has been doing so well that many of its partners built up excess inventory. Um, on top of that, there was a delayed merger between uh, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Uh, which didn't help. And the negative retail trends, if you think back to just a year ago, uh, we used to talk on the show in the 2016-2017 timeframe about Amazon's effect on retail outlets. Uh, so there was positioning there. Um, and then the lawsuits of uh, against some competitors who were essentially mimicking uh, the Yeti product line. What happened for... Yeti, in terms of enforcement, is was able to successfully sue some of its competitors, but the courts ordered these competitors to liquidate inventory, and so there was a fire sale on competing products, which hurt Yeti's own sales. Um, in response to that, Yeti, in its prospectus, has listed a number of items that it's initiatives that it's undertaken to sort of restabilize and regrow sales, um, including pricing actions. You can read that as discounting its own products. That's to make sure that they re-stimulated demand. Um, but they've said that they've done that without hurting their sort of premium positioning. Um, focusing, as Vince mentioned, on this DC channel, especially the digital channels, which are associated with that. Um, the company called about 1,100 underperforming retailers uh, to get to that 4,800 uh, number that Vince told you about in terms of retailers today. So cut out the inefficient ones who weren't that profitable for it. And increased engagement with Dick's Sporting Goods, which is the country's largest sporting retailer. A couple more I'll mention that were listed in the perspective, rationalizing the manufacturing base. That simply means they cut down on the number of manufacturers to get better production deals um, out of the ones that were remaining. Um, And adding those executives we talked about as well as more employees, including those that work on product developments. One of the things that's really characteristic about this company over the last year is it's really ramping up the number of products it it offers, especially, as I said, in uh, the drinkware categories and the other categories. 
the other category includes t-shirts, hats, and even um, uh, dog pet, pet yeah, bowls. Yeah, the bowls, the Excuse accessories. Me, I saw that in the prospectus <laughs> right. too. Um, so I, you know, I mentioned this before. I think management um, does their best trying to explain for 2017 um, why all of a sudden this incredible growth trajectory um, really just flips um, like a switch and goes in the opposite direction. But for any young company that's going public, uh, you're going to have a hard time uh, building as much confidence in investors when your most recent full year of results uh, show you know that a double-digit revenue decline, net income down 68%. And then at the same time, you know, uh, some investors are already going to be feeling uh, worried or concerned that the company is riding a wave of almost fad-like popularity, and there's no guarantee that it's going to have staying power uh, being uh, kind of this top-of-the-line uh, cooler and drinkware brand. Um, and that was ultimately reflected in the initial public offering process itself. We haven't talked as much about this, but Cortec first filed to take Yeti Public back in 2016. Um, but after two years of sitting on the shelf, the deal was pulled earlier uh, this year, only to be refiled. And eventually, they were able to price the deal in October, so late uh, October, at $18 per share. And that was below the range of $19 to $21. And then following kind of in that vein, the company's first day of trading was October 25th. Um, shares closed at $17, so below the pricing, uh, the offering price. And as of this recording, shares still haven't managed to clear that original $18 pricing level. So that um, kind of weak, weaker IPO performance, um, down trading, it really does I think serve to reflect the concerns that investors have about long-term growth and positioning for Yeti. Um, but keep in mind that with this IPO, deal size was $280 million, but Yeti itself only pocketed about $37 million of that in terms of the proceeds. The remaining proceeds went to Cortec, which reduced its ownership from the originally uh, around 70% to about 55%. Um, I found a source um, that Cortec acquired its initial stake uh, back in 2012 for $67 million. So at the IPO valuation, that $67 million investment became $1 billion of holdings. So a pretty solid return for Cortec in a six in six years' time. Um, going back to the use of proceeds, though, that are going to Yeti, um, the company said that they would be using them uh, to pay down debt. Um, and Asset, we've talked a little bit about revenue, we've talked about profitability, but how about the balance sheet? Um, I know there, there was something that kind of raised both of our eyebrows and, and came up as a red flag. Can you go into that? Sure. Uh, one of the things that's really important to do, investors, if you're looking at an initial public offering, this is a, a pro tip, not that I claim to be a pro, uh, is to go straight to that use of proceeds section and see why a company is coming to market. Most of the times, the reasons will be obvious if you know even a little bit about the company. It needs capital to grow. Um, it's going to invest in research and development, et cetera. The total $37 million of net proceeds um, that was raised, as Vince mentioned, has gone really to debt service. So if we look at the balance sheet, um, Yeti has long-term debt of about $428 million on its books. And that's divided between two term loans. They call it Term Loan A, which is um, $356 million outstanding, and Term Loan B, which is about $78 million uh, outstanding. The first loan that I mentioned has an interest rate of 7.6%, and the second loan that I mentioned has an interest rate of 6%. So Yeti obviously wants to pay down some of this debt. It also has access to $100 million more in terms of a revolving credit facility that's currently untapped. So I crunched some numbers, and 
the debt load is moderate. I mean, it's not terribly excessive. I got uh, roughly three and a half times annual EBITDA earnings before income taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is a middle of the road creeping up towards uh, higher leverage. But again, what concerned me, and I think I had dyslexia earlier, that, that interest expense wasn't $19.6 million. It was closer to $16.7 million. Still, to my point, though, that's more than net income that was generated uh, in the first uh, reporting period. So with this kind of debt load, uh, slim margins, high interest expense, if some of this uh, revenue generation and revenue acceleration is due to a fad that's going to wane, as Vince is, has posited. So let, let's, let's talk about that for a second. One of the things that a company like this may uh, run into is a cash crunch down the road. Now, adjusted EBITDA numbers are higher. You do want to look at that. But I, I like to look at the full uh, gap numbers, that is, uh, generally accounted, accepted accounting principles. I think those numbers really tell you over the long term what a company needs to generate to stay profitable and have strong cash flow. So just curious, Vince, uh, to me, this is a little bit of a yellow flag, not necessarily a red flag. What are your thoughts? Yeah, maybe a you know lowercase small r red flag, um, but you know you're looking at that debt load um, for a company that's looking to invest and grow too, based on what they kind of describe as their uh, long-term growth opportunities. Three hundred fifty million dollars net debt, um, and I got the same number about three point five times uh, debt to adjusted EBITDA. Not outlandish for a company in, in at this stage of its life. Um, and it, at least that debt balance is down from its peak in 2016 when it was over $500 million. Um, next up, we're going to look more into the breakdown of this business, uh, particularly with its expansion and some of the other risks that we see with the business. Thanks to Slack for supporting The Molly Fool and Industry Focus. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work it is that you do. With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips, because Slack connects all the tools and services you need in one place. Slack is a huge part of everyone's workday here at Full HQ. so when we're brainstorming ideas for the podcast, getting business updates from across the company, or just reaching out to someone to grab lunch or to get a coffee, every day you'll overhear a full say, just Slack me, and it's that easy and convenient. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, or teams. That means no more digging through your inbox for that one email you needed, and no more switching back and forth between tabs and platforms to stay up to speed. You can tailor Slack to your work with more than 1,000 apps. Because everything you need to work is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at slack.com. That's S-L-A-C-K dot com. Okay, so... We've covered kind of the big picture uh, for this company, uh, what they're selling, who they're selling to, um, some of the things that jumped out to us in the financial statements. So let's turn our attention to what lies ahead uh, for the company. For example, um, part of that direct-to-consumer distribution, uh, Yeti does have that single flagship store that I mentioned uh, in Austin, and management indicates that they plan to gradually open more brick-and-mortar locations uh, over time. But even though um, Yeti, its popularity, has really jumped recently, uh, management paints a picture where the brand is still most prevalent, prevalent uh, in the United States and within the U.S., 
only the South and Southeast regions, what it calls its heritage markets. So that presents a one runway for growth with the big outdoor recreational markets that remain, for example, the West Coast, the North Northeast. What do you think, Asit? Um, my concern for any company like this always revolves around the idea of how big you can ultimately become because Yeti is selling you know, $700, $800 million of coolers and tumblers and water bottles right now. But how much bigger can a business like this realistically get? What do you think? I think it has a chance to keep growing at, at a good clip. Some of the markets that are open to it, say the Northeast, aren't quite as conducive to the hunting and fishing ethos, which fueled its first line of growth. But as you pointed out, more sales to women, more non-traditional customers are buying the products. If you look at this map of the Southeast and just picture all the blank space that exists in the Midwest, um, the West Coast, there is a large westward expansion and to the north that the company has available to it. Um, One of the strategies that it's trying to use is to expand drinkware sales. As I mentioned before, drinkware sales um, increased by 58 million or about 49% to 177 million in the first six months of this year compared to the prior year. But again, the flip side of that is those are presumably much lower margin sales than those $1,300 coolers. Um, It's also trying to increase corporate sales, so corporate branded uh, sales, um, sales in this direct channel, and also international markets. This is something that most investors uh, wouldn't natively think, myself included, Uh, about Yeti, but it's got a market already. It's established markets in Australia and and Canada in 2017 and entered Japan in 2018. Um, And listeners, I've mentioned a few times on different shows that unique culture in Japan of of liking nice things and acquiring uh, great products. We talked about this in relation to Sonos when it had its IPO. I think that's a smart market. It's looking at Europe, and it's also looking at Asia, particularly China, outside of Japan. So if we consider all that together, I think there is a, a pretty good market for this company to expand I do like the strategies that it's putting forward. Um, However, I'm concerned, Vince, with what you mentioned. So much of this has been fueled by uh, the desirability of the Yeti brand. Uh, We were chatting with our producer, Austin, before the show, and he was telling us how popular it was on Instagram last year. How long or sustainable is that advantage? And will other competitors come, especially in this drinkware portion where it wants to expand and take some market share. What do you think? Well, I'll just say that with the international expansion, which I thought was really interesting, um, you know, going to Canada and Australia last year, then going to Japan, something I will uh, play a little bit of devil's advocate with, though, is that these are still very early efforts where um, Yeti uh, themselves, they say they're just trying to get their name out there, um, build up brand awareness. Um, and it's likely to take at least a few more years before the company sees any kind of material contribution from that international segment. Um, and on the flip side, you know, in terms of being more a, of a supporter of this possibility, um, I'm usually pretty skeptical of international expansion as a source of significant long-term growth for a company that doesn't have any kind of proven track record yet outside of its home market. But 
I also think that Yeti is a company that has proven itself very savvy with marketing, with establishing uh, you know, what they describe as aspirational nature of their brand. And they have these Yeti ambassadors. So these are like famous hunters and fishermen and even surfers and barbecue pitmasters. I thought that was really cool. Um, they have a really big social media following, which you mentioned. So that I think that leaves us with this these overall themes like a strong brand. They have this premium positioning. Um, their growth seems to be recovering from the the pretty significant hiccup hiccup that they encountered in 2017. So the question is, you know, does it have that staying power, um, or is this another single focus kind of company that is able to create a market and dominate it? Um, you know, has this status symbol sort of brand, um, but when they encounter Really significant competition um, is that going to erode their margins? You know, hurt their market share and, and end up really um, hurting the momentum for the company. Are you a buyer? My opinion uh, is, don't buy this stock just yeti. If I can make a bad joke, a lame oh, joke. <laughs> oh, that was good. And I, I hated it, but it was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. So this one needs some seasoning. A few quarters of looking at financials. And, and listeners, we've given this advice with a number of IPOs that um, we've discussed over the past couple of years. But I think it's sound advice when there's a really compelling company that you just have to get into. You can see all numbers soaring. Market demand is, is shooting up. Management's hitting everything. Companies going on all cylinders. This is not really one of those scenarios. Uh, to give you one key number, if you look at marketing spend, marketing spend has increased. They've spent about cumulatively $156 million between 2013 and 2017. Uh, $50 million of that was spent just in 2017. Uh, and that sort of tells me that, look, this relationship between needing to market and generate sales with an acceptable margin is sort of questionable, perhaps. And I would wait a few more quarters, look at that marketing expense as a total of, of sales. And that will uh, give you an indication of many of the pieces that Vince has talked about, uh, why this might not be uh, you know, a fast-moving company out of the gate after its IPO. So my opinion is wait on it, uh, look at these next couple of quarters. It's really very close to the, the situation that it had in 2017, which it's still recovering from. So um, I say, wait, there's no hurry to buy this, buy one of their products, enjoy it at the beach in the meantime. What about you, Vince? Yeah, that's our usual kind of disclosure that we have when we talk about IPOs, especially when it's soon after that they, uh, after the company has priced. Um, I, some listeners, I'm sure, are also probably getting sick of hearing this kind of cautionary advice that we give. Um, but with any new public company, it's I think it's smart to give them at least six months, maybe a year, get their footing, release some quarterly results, even get a feel for management during their earnings calls, um, how they um, present the how they present the results, respond to analyst questions, how much they disclose, um, and just how transparent they are with that kind of information. Um, thinking about all that before taking a position. But I was looking at the current trading level again, about seventeen dollars per share as of this recording. Um, the company, so that puts. The company's uh, trading at over 40 times trailing earnings. But first half of 2018, that uh, saw 34% year-over-year top-line growth, uh, 73% adjusted EBITDA growth. So um, it does explain why expectations are high, um, you know, and uh, people are ex excited about the opportunity that the company brings. Um, making my call now for Yeti, um, as, a, as fellow industry-focused host, um, Nick Seipel put it once, 
I'm neither overwhelmed nor underwhelmed. I'm just whelmed by this story. And I love the branding and the tailwinds in some of these new target markets and new geographic markets. Um, But we've also learned some pretty hard lessons over the years in consumer and retail for similar stories. Um, I mentioned GoPro earlier, but you think about also Fitbit or Groupon, Blue Apron, even Under Armour, which had a pretty long run, strong run, where um, you know these companies soar on a nascent trend on this brand prestige, but they start to stumble once they face more serious competition or the fad, for example, burns out. And I still have to ask myself how many you know five hundred dollar, eight hundred dollar, thirteen hundred dollar coolers kind of company uh, sell. How many are those? Are people looking to buy when you buy one? I can't imagine you're replenishing this on a yearly basis, for example. So that gives me some pause, but I'm actually pretty excited to follow this company. I think uh, there's a lot going to it, um, or uh, there's a lot to to support the story as well. Any final thoughts from you, Asif? Uh Look at the debt as well. So when the earnings come out uh, coming out shortly, take a look at the marketing expense in relation to sales, as I said, and uh, look at that debt load. Any changes to that, and any indications from management of where they want to be in terms of leverage would be maybe the two most uh, crucial points, along with the usual color on where the company wants to expand and, and how well it's doing. All right. Great. Thanks for joining us. This was a really fun conversation, Vince. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Fools, for turning it, tuning in. Uh, people in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Belong. Cool